mid-September and the kids are back in school. But it's not unreasonable to wonder for how long. As the Delta variant continues to spread, there are real concerns that we could be looking down the barrel of another period of at-home learning for students. We've already had cases confirmed in schools and we will no doubt have more. The Ontario government's back-to-school plan has been a point of contention among opposition parties and a point of concern for many parents. Some are wondering if we're doing enough to protect our kids when they go to school. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we look at what school boards in our region are doing, and we talk to Annie Kidder of the group People for Education to see if it's enough. This is Pandemic School Year Take Two. Here is your host, Craig Needles. Coming off a year in which in-person learning started, then stopped, then started, then stopped again, the safe return to the classroom had to happen eventually. The question was, how do you do it? That's what the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Health, and school boards have been working through the summer to get to the point we're at right now. People for Education has been working with those school boards and with parents to ensure that all students can enter the school year as safely as possible. However, Annie Kidder, their executive director, feels there was a lack of concrete planning coming from the provincial government. I mean, I think that the, the, that the province, the, there had to be real clarity from the province. And when the province came out very, very late uh, with its back to school plan, it really kind of looked like last year. Um, and it, it, I think that then it is left up to boards to figure out some of the details or to try and make some things work. I would hope we know better this year than we knew, knew last year. And I think that that's part of the frustration is that last year in August, everybody was saying we need a better plan, blah, blah, blah. And now this year in August, we were all saying the same thing. And now it's September again, school has started again. And it doesn't feel as if um, uh, all of the planning is in place that should be. But, and it is a leadership issue. I would say, you know, really the leadership has to start uh, in the Ministry of Education or in the whole government, because it's not just education too. It has to be education and health working together. They're not going to please it. Yeah. But it's like, but it's, there's pleasing and then there's using evidence and common sense and an understanding of how things really work. So they, the complaint of the principals that we talked to was, was it exactly of that? We want the leaders here in our schools to understand how complicated this is. I mean, there's stuff even right now, there are vaccination policies and principals are going, but do, do we know who's vaccinated and who's not? How am I supposed to make this policy happen in my school when actually I'm not allowed to ask people whether or not they're vaccinated, but I'm supposed to um, implement different policies depending on whether or not people are vaccinated. Potentially unvaccinated teachers or students who are too young to get vaccinated are one of the big variables in this back-to-school plan. We'll discuss that in detail later in this episode once we've established that there have been some additional measures school boards have taken in order to keep kids safe. Big classes, group projects, playing tag in the schoolyard, these are all standard things that happen on a normal school day and they make social distancing difficult and hard to keep track of. So how do you monitor social distancing during class, during lunch, during recess? Mark Fisher is the Director of Education for the Thames Valley District School Board. 
So schools are really, really well organized. If you have an opportunity at some point in the future, uh, when it is safe to do so, to visit uh, your child's school, you will see that we have directional arrows pointed on, uh, painted on the floors. We have very uh, specific schedules about exit and entry into the building. We have extensive hand washing protocols around visiting appropriate areas to wash their hands or the use of hand sanitizer. Uh, we make sure we fully utilize all the space that's available in the yards and we physical distance to the degree possible. But these are all layers of protection that are put in place just to make sure uh, that our students are safe. But at the same time, we normalize their school experience as much as possible. School needs to be a fun and vibrant place to learn. And part of that, uh, the beauty of public education is interacting with their peers, learning with and from one another. And that's why we are gradually and slowly and safely reintroducing extracurricular activities. Some of the lessons that we learned last year were around the importance of hand hygiene, uh, wearing masks. We have mandated that all students K to 12 wear masks. We now have daily screening, which is really the most uh, important step. So you as a parent, or if you're a teenager in high school, you make sure that you do this daily screening every single day. And if for some reason you have any symptoms, we ask you to err on the side of caution and do not come to school until you are completely symptom free. We also now have over 92% of our staff fully vaccinated and those who have opted not to be vaccinated yet or need medical accommodations have to provide proof a couple of times a week of negative COVID testing. And we spent $15 million this summer upgrading all of our ventilation systems. So we're a provincial leader when it comes to health and safety. But we, we put a lot of time, effort and resource into our infrastructure over the last five years. In fact, we've spent almost $65 million uh, over the last five years to upgrade our system. So we have like over 90% of our schools have what we call full mechanical ventilation or air exchange systems. Uh, they are top grade in terms of industry standard. Uh, we have approximately eight to 10% of our schools that have either passive or mixed ventilation systems, which is a more traditional approach. But in those schools, we have these portable HEPA filters which are air purifiers, air exchange systems. We have over 1,400 of those deployed uh, in any space that doesn't have this full mechanical ventilation. Hand hygiene, masks, social distancing, HEPA filters, these are all measures that keep COVID from spreading within schools. The Ministry of Education has also put protocols in place to try and keep COVID from even entering the school in the first place. The daily screening process is a form that parents can help their children fill out to check whether they have COVID symptoms. John Howitt is the Director of Education for the Lambton-Kent District School Board. He says it's very important. The pre-screening uh, process is one of the tools that uh, public health has provided to all. Uh, there is a specific school and child care screener that has a series of questions and based on the responses to those questions, uh, will give guidance about whether or not uh, a student or staff member or visitor to the building is permitted to uh, attend um, the school. It'll give direct instructions if you're not, based on one of the responses, uh, what the next steps uh, should be. Uh, and that is regularly updated as the science and the expectations change. Um, so, for example, recently, uh, you will know that the Ministry of Education is requiring us under direction from uh, Dr. Moore, the Chief Medical Officer of Health for Ontario, to uh, disclose vaccination status. 
uh, or to do antigen testing if not fully tested, uh, sorry, not fully vaccinated. Uh, so the screener now contains a question that has to do with uh, antigen testing. Um, for those that may have said that they're not vaccinated, there's now a question that's, uh, that wasn't there last year that is there now. It really, though, uh, the pre-screener, I don't think it's enough credit for the impact it has. It's a huge protection to keep our schools safe before our students or staff have even left their homes. Uh, if somebody comes to school uh, symptomatic uh, and uh, is a confirmed case of uh, or about to be confirmed a case of covid the risk goes up when they arrive at school. So we really ask everybody to take it very seriously and don't assume you know the questions. Read them each time because they may have changed. One of the most heavily debated topics is whether vaccines should be mandatory for all staff and educators. It's an important step in stopping the spread of COVID and schools have taken a softer approach than some may have liked. Lisa Walsh is the Director of Education of the Avon Maitland District School Board and she explains what her board is doing in order to encourage vaccination. We do know that um, vaccinations do prevent the virus from spreading. And we don't, uh, it's been challenging to have kids miss so much school. We know that there's other issues that take place when kids aren't vaccinated and they have to sit at home and isolate. Um, socially, emotionally, physically, academically, there's challenges with that. So I would say that, you know, if the, the government has deemed um, it what's the word I'm looking for? Safe, I guess, just to, to have students vaccinated 12 plus all the way up through adulthood. And um, I mean, billions of people have been uh, vaccinated across the world. And yes, there have been some complications. I respect individuals' right to choose. And I know that individuals have their own um, circumstances. But yes, the more people vaccinated, the better and safer our system is going to be. So what can they do to push staff members who are wondering what they'll do over the line towards getting vaccinated? We have, um, you know, highly encouraged kind of a vaccination process. And that's what we are we are working on. So we're highly, highly encouraging our staff to be vaccinated as per the direction we've been given. But for those who choose not to, we also have a process, which is that they must be tested. And we've received the antigen tests, which have now gone out to all the individuals um, who have, are not vaccinated in our district, and they have to show um, proof that they are uh, free of the virus twice a week. What educators have learned over the past year is that mental health is more important now than ever. Long periods of isolation and being removed from social situations are taking a major toll on student wellness. So one of the major themes in the back to school plan is to make mental health a focus. The other part is whether or not we've uh, done enough to uh, provide the necessary supports and kind of space uh, for ensuring um, that kids are able to thrive uh, educationally, and I'm including in education everything to do with their mental health, their well-being, you know, where they are in math, all of those pieces. Um, we're a little bit concerned that um, that there's 
there's just a desire, you know, in terms of getting things to go back to normal to go, okay, here's the curriculum, here are the outcomes, you still have to do that. And it's, in a way, then ignoring the reality of what's happened during the pandemic and the ongoing pandemic. Um, so uh, we think it's, you know, there, there should be more space and time for one-on-one -on -one assessments uh, and not, again, just to find out how, where kids are in terms of math, but how they are in, in all ways. Lisa Walsh provides some of the solutions that the Avon Maitland District School Board have put in place. This year, the focus has been on um, our, our back to school program has been we've trained teachers on how to use mental health and well-being uh, supports better. We're enveloping that into everything we do at school so that kids have you know, we're talking about how does this make you feel? How How is it being that you've been away from your friends for three months? And, you know, how do you feel when you're not at school? And so we're actually starting to rebuild community from an understanding that we've all experienced COVID in difficult ways. And some some have really been challenged through this. So we're identifying not only where kids are at at the beginning of the school year academically, but also where they're at in their mindset and how they're feeling about things. And, but I would say that we are really ready to get back to the academic and instructional agenda at school. Well, we, we've provided a kit and some of the things in the kit have been books and fidget toys and games and calming tools and coloring books. And they each, there has been one created for um, each grade to, for educators to use in their classrooms. And um, these resources have often also been accompanied with a lesson plan on how to use each of the tools. So there's been a lot of um, what we call these tools, tier one tools, which is about everybody's mental health, about making sure that kids are, you know, feeling happy and connected and, um, you know, reacquainted in a good way to school and finding ways to handle their stress. So that's sort of the things that we're doing. We also have all, a lot of our partners and we also have people within our school board. So um, masters of social work and psychotherapists and um, teams that are helping also for kids that are experiencing more than the norm of stress and are not managing those transitions back and forth between school and home as well. So we have a lot of supports in place for our students. Even if you're doing everything you can to prevent COVID from getting into a school, sadly, outbreaks are still going to happen. So when they do, how will schools manage them? How do they make sure it doesn't spread like wildfire from classroom to classroom? Part one of that plan is contact tracing. First of all, the health unit, we call our health unit partners immediately because they do the contact tracing. But some of the things that they think about are, first of all, bus, who's on the bus, who's sitting close to that student who has shown some symptoms. The second thing is that in all cases, both in a classroom, on the bus, etc. The contact tracing is a little bit different because of the new vaccinations. So if students don't have any symptoms and they are double vaccinated, they can basically remain at school and carry on as usual if and until they have any symptoms. I guess I should say first and foremost, if anybody shows symptoms, non-vaccinated or vaccinated, they are to remain at home and get tested before they come back to school. But in this case, if, if there was um, a breakout or something or a student had uh, shown symptoms and they were in period one in the day, for example, and then they went to period two, then period one and period two, all of the students, first of all, would be identified that were in the classrooms with that student. 
The second thing is then we would identify whether the students were vaccinated or not vaccinated. If they were not vaccinated, then the health unit would determine whether they needed to isolate for 10 days, whether they were showing any symptoms, maybe they're, maybe they're um, isolated for a few days. And if they show symptoms, then they would remain home or get tested. Um, and so there's some pretty clear guidelines now and the vaccination rates have changed that picture of contact tracing enormously. If case counts climb due to in-class transmission, Mark Fisher and John Howitt say that schools may close and students could be sent home. One of the things I've learned over the last 18 months is that everything is very fluid and highly variable. And really the community transmission often dictates what happens in the schools. But we're going to take a little bit of a different approach this year. And we're going to do everything within our power to avoid system level shutdowns. So really... We're going to deal with it on a case-by-case basis. So if we have a student that is uh, COVID positive, then we'll look to have that student get treatment and be quarantined for that period. And we'll keep that learning going. If we are in a situation that we have to close a specific classroom, we will do that as well. Uh, worst case scenario, we may have to close a part of a school or a school for a short period of time. But in any event that we do that, we are we have... All of our teachers trained on these digital platforms called either Brightspace or Google. So the learning will continue throughout uh, the year. And we, as I said, our bottom line is do no harm to students and make sure that we do everything within our control to keep schools open. Because we know from a wellness, a well-being, a mental health perspective, our students and our staff need to be together face-to-face learning. There are so many variables uh, that could come into play. If one of our staff or students is a confirmed case but has been uh, absent from school during the uh, time when exposure was a risk, uh, then there's no impact to the school. It's still reported on our site uh, as a confirmed case, but there's no impact to school. Uh, In that scenario, uh, we do post the information and, uh, and would inform the community uh, through that, that method. Um, if the uh, student or staff attended school during the, uh, the time of exposure, uh, then there's a multitude of things that happen. Uh, if the student, if a student becomes uh, symptomatic at school, clear symptoms, a clear horse cough, uh, uh, a nose that's running that is not because they've just come inside from the cold at recess or our known allergies. Uh, we do have an isolation area within each school where that student would go uh, and would be picked up and directed to be to get tested. Uh, uh, if uh, what has happened this year, though, we haven't had any of those. Uh, We have learned that um, a student has tested positive or a family member of a student has tested positive and therefore they're a presumptive case. Uh, And then uh, public health informs us of that. Uh, And then we follow up with the contact tracing of providing uh, the contact list to public health. Public health then makes a determination on who is dismissed from school uh, uh, to self-isolation or who's required to self-monitor. Uh, vaccination status, new this fall, uh, does have an impact on that. Um, those who are fully vaccinated are more likely be- to be directed to self 
self-monitor as opposed to self-isolate and are likely to be allowed to stay at school. They may be dismissed en masse at the beginning uh, as public health works their way through the contact tracing, but would be allowed to come back at the next uh, school day. So um, it's a really tricky question to answer because there are so many variables. Maybe the simplest way to answer it is to say that uh, we will follow public health advice. As soon as there's a confirmed case, public health takes over and we assist with communication uh, of their directions. Pandemics mean that situations can often change quickly. How often are these plans and these protocols being altered or adjusted to fit the circumstances we may find ourselves in? I would say daily is probably not an exaggeration. Uh, We are constantly reviewing. uh, And at that weekly meeting that we have with the medical officers of health, we do bring back uh, protocols that we have in place to to ensure that they still uh, are appropriate or fit. Um, you know, as an example, uh, school photos is a really big thing. Uh, and we delayed school photos last year until into November, December before they started. Uh, we had a protocol in place that was effective. Um, it permits for the individual photos. It, per, it requires distancing and masking for the photographer. Uh, it's only the class cohort there. And unfortunately, we can't do group uh, class pictures um, because of proximity. Uh, that protocol we just reviewed again last week. It's still current. It's still appropriate. Um, so, you know, there, there's an example of, of one of the protocols. Uh, uh, the other that we're hearing a lot of is around extracurriculars and uh, whether or not spectators could be at games and the things. So those are conversations that we are having regularly. Uh, And we do debrief with public health after we have confirmed cases in the school to see if the school could be doing anything better, uh, either um, through the contact tracing process uh, or any of our protocols, uh, whether they continue to be effective uh, or not. Um, I should mention as well that we meet with our principals uh, every week, Uh, uh, principals, vice principals, managers, supervisors for all departments across the board to ensure, again, that we're constantly reviewing and asking the questions. We plan for the future, however, in hopes that things can happen. We would rather cancel than be paralyzed. Uh, So um, we are continuing with extracurricular sports, for example, uh, because community sports continue to take place uh, in our region. Um, So we are continuing. So we're scheduling those games. Um, Should they have to be canceled? We will cancel them uh, in the best interest of, uh, of the community safety, of course. Um, But given we don't have that crystal ball, we would rather plan and cancel uh, than be paralyzed by COVID-19 uh, and, and not be doing um, those kinds of things at this point in time. So that's why we always say it's very fluid. Uh, things do change, um, sometimes by hour, uh, especially at the beginning. Um, this year, it's not by hour, but uh, every couple of days, we're still monitoring Uh, and it is still fluid. So they do have plans, but what happens if things don't go according to that plan? Is there a plan B or a plan C? What should those plans look like? There there is obviously more work to be done to ensure that class sizes are small enough, that there can be some physical distancing, uh, but 
the number one thing is we need to make sure everybody who can be is vaccinated, um, who, who is in schools, and that it's not a choice. It's, you know, unless you have a, and the, you know, the, the Ontario Medical Association just wrote a letter to all doctors explaining to them how, how narrow the medical exemption is. And it's very, very small. It's a very, you know, there's not some huge out here. There's no opt out. There shouldn't be any kind of opt out. So number one is vaccinations. Number two is um, looking to ensure that um, class sizes are small enough that there can be some physical distancing. And probably number three is ensuring that there's funding in place to provide support staff uh, so that there are sufficient uh, counselors and social workers and um, other staff to um, yeah, provide the, the supports that kids and educators in schools need. There's a fourth thing, which is the health and education task force. That is vital. And it, it's been vital for the last year, year and a half, but it's still vital now. It would make a difference for the whole, you know, for the next year and beyond that. And for students and parents? My strong, strong message to parents is that if your child is exhibiting any symptoms of COVID, even one, keep your student, your child home from school. The only cases that we have currently had related to children are children that have come to school with symptoms. So there is a daily screening requirement. Please complete that requirement. I know it may seem a little bit laborious or onerous, but please complete that screener and err on the side of caution. If it's not COVID in a day or two, those symptoms will clear and your son or daughter can come to school. But don't send them to school when you're in doubt because really you're actually putting a lot of people at risk. The pandemic hasn't been easy for parents. It hasn't been easy for teachers or students or anyone else. But there have been some silver linings from an educational perspective. Well, there are two possibilities. One, we could really learn from this. Um, we could, we could uh, really understand that COVID exposed uh, a lot of cracks in the system. It exposed and it amplified inequities in the system. Um, and it and it also it even allowed some innovative ways to make learning happen. So we could be going now that we we see this. What are we going to do to change uh, education in a fairly substantial way? How are we going to do more to ensure that? There, there are, there's equitable access to quality education so that we have equitable outcomes for students. Um, and how are we going to do more to understand all of the possibilities um, that technology actually provides us? And, um, and to expand our idea of what learning is. We could be doing that. The worry is that we might do the opposite of that which is to hunker down and go, how do we make sure kids are learning math and reading and writing? I would say that one of the other silver linings is I think that parents have a better understanding about what happens in school and teachers have a better um, understanding about each, each individual's lives that they serve, uh, you know, the kids that they serve. And so I'm hoping that those silver linings of having better connections and closer connections with our parent partners will continue and that um, that our, we're encouraging our staff to keep those connections up because I think in the long run, you know, the saying it takes a village to raise a child and we are that village and we're working together hand in hand to do that. 
As we get into the winter and beyond, vaccines will eventually become available to students who are younger than 12. But there's still concerns, still questions about how the year will go. Fisher says they're going to strive to keep kids in class. I would just say again, I'd like to thank the broader community for their patience and flexibility. Uh, the energy levels, the positivity at schools is very, very high. We promise to be fully transparent in everything we do. We promise to make changes and updates when we have new information in place. Uh, but we will keep our schools open and you will have a high, high quality learning experience at the Thames Valley District School Board. And we are a provincial leader, both in teaching and learning and in providing a safe environment for your kids. This episode of the 519 podcast was written by Haley Chang, Patrick Magermans, Craig Needles and Scott Kitching. The 519 podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.